Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, for our post-Thanksgiving podcast. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been able to sit down. You guys were traveling on last Wednesday, right? Yes, we were. Ohio. We made the trek home, and it was great. We we squeezed in probably four Thanksgiving meals in four days. Oh. Something like that. So, how does so you get four? Is it like one? Is it a lunch every day, or do you like uh, lunch and then a dinner? Yeah, uh, man, it, it was like a it was a blur and a flash. So I don't quite remember. <laughs> I think it was it was just all the above. I mean, it's like we're on tour when we go to Ohio to visit family, which is great. So you got your you got your parents Thanksgiving. Yeah, you got my parents, parents, Jennifer's parents. Um, and then Jennifer's grandparents. Oh, so that's separate from the parents. Yeah, because the family's so big. Yeah, but still, that's not your problem. Like, maybe they could consolidate. They did. I mean, we consolidate. The VFW, you know, maybe take everybody down to... <laughs> we do. We do, like, a big one, like, the all the family. Oh, okay. But then, like, okay. you know, Jennifer's folks, like, they, right, they want right. just their kids and their grandkids. Because, like, all told, there's there's a lot of kids and grandkids and great now great-grandkids. I guess the the, the uh, growing up in a small town with my mom's family and my dad's family both, I, I vividly remember the tension between who's who gets lunch this year, who gets dinner oh, next year, the Tyler side or the Don side. And one of the the there's a lot of downsides to having parents that are either gone or really don't want to be around you. But one of the upsides is that Shannon and I never have to debate where we're going to spend Thanksgiving. Like we're not you know, going to her parents anywhere and certainly not mine. So we, you know, we actually stayed this year and hung out with Jim, Donna Henderson, Gary and Michelle Anderson. And it's family. Yeah, yeah, it was like a Canadian Thanksgiving, but it's like, <laughs> uh, like Canadian because he, he smoked, he smoked a hen. A hen. Yeah. Did like you a- know this? So someone maybe should fact check my turkey knowledge. I... Apparently the the hen like most of the turkeys we eat this may or may not be true are male, uh, but the hen, like a female turkey is what he smoked it it was it was considerably smaller. I, I might a, be making this might be completely incorrect information. I just remember Cornish being, hen. No, it wasn't like a little baby one. It was like a it looked like a chicken, but it was oh no, he said it's a hen, <laughs> a turkey hen, a turkey hen. Yeah, and that's a Canadian. I we're learning know. all kinds of things, and we really don't know what we're talking <laughs> no, about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, my my vast weird knowledge uh, stops with uh, with waterfowl and <laughs> and wooded fowl. <laughs> I don't have nothing when it comes to that. Well, the great debate now is like you know, turkey or ham. <sighs> I don't, in my family. Well, for my family, it's like you know, one year we decided, you know, I don't like turkey. Maybe I don't know how to cook it. That's possible, but apparently, no one else I've ever met has either. So we started doing like things like, what would you want to eat? You know, <laughs> like instead of being forced to eat, yeah, turkey, like why just am I, I mean, this is being foisted upon me, right? So we'll we'll throw out some ribeyes. We did uh, T bones at the Tyler House, man. Threw them in the sous vide yeah. and then seared them. And Dang, happy Thanksgiving, right. man. Coming to your house next year. A lot's going on in the world, as always. This is why we do this. Um, you know, it's 
good to get away for a few days and spend time with family is the most important thing. Um, meanwhile, in the background, there's all kinds of, you know, current events happening. And so one of the things that we want to try to do is bring some clarity to the chaos. That's the way we describe it. And, you know, the last time we did a kind of a current event roundup um, was, you know, not long after the attack on Israel by Hamas. That's been now almost two months ago. Yeah, October 7th, you know, that's 50 days ago, I think, at this point. Yeah. Which is bonkers. So, and they clearly didn't uh, respect Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> like they, you know, <laughs> well, Islamic terrorists were not taking the day off to celebrate the goodness of Jehovah. You know, they were, uh, they were doing some Allah Akbar stuff the last week. I mean, to be fair, Israel's not celebrating Thanksgiving either, are they? Uh, no, but <laughs> given the tradition, but Shalom, I'm just saying that, you know, they, they, at least they take one day a week off, but sure. you know, there wasn't a, while we were disconnecting from the world, which is by the way, a, a good thing. Sometimes you got to go into the cave. I mean, Jesus did it every day. He withdrew to pray, you know, Elijah, David, like there's stories that sometimes a, a, a good retreat is, is exactly what you need to get rested and, and ready for what's coming. So it's, it's not a bad thing. You just can't stay there, you know, hiding out. But it was it was nice to take a little bit of a break, even though I suspect you, like me, wasn't exactly a break. Like I was still pretty engaged in the information, yeah. what's going on. And Keep your eye on it a little bit. And one of the things talking about taking a break is uh, there's a ceasefire. Yeah. A quasi ceasefire that has been uh, discussed, implemented currently as of, as of, as of the recording of this, there is a a ceasefire between Israel and the Palestinians, specifically Hamas. But I mean, even this morning there was a, a shooting in Jerusalem that Hamas has claimed a responsibility for that I believe has killed three people um, on on a bus in Jerusalem. And so, yeah. what's what's exactly going on with this ceasefire? How did it come to be? What's what are the terms and how much longer? And you know, it's you know, it's one thing to say that they're in a ceasefire. It's another thing for them to actually follow the rules of it. Yeah. Well, the terms of the ceasefire is that it is only in place so they could exchange hostages. Now, on the one hand, the people that they're releasing uh, on on Israel side, they're not hostages; they're prisoners. Uh, hostages are innocent people taken captive against their will. Prisoners are people who are detained, maybe against their will, but because they have done something that is either harmful or is a going to be a harm to somebody. And so the exchange they're making, and I I don't begrudge. Uh, the Israeli government for this, but they're exchanging innocent women and children for either people who have proven to be or are very likely to be violently uh, uh, a danger to terrorists. To, terrorists, yeah. To put it differently, there was a piece this morning in the Hill talking about uh, how unfair it is because you look at the list of these Palestinians that are being released, and the average age is between fourteen and eighteen. And how that's awful. Uh, it shows that Israel's evil for, and, and but with no recognition that the average age of 
young men that are recruited into jihad is 14 to 18. That's literally the sweet spot for mm. uh, when they're recruited into violent situations. It's, I, I had a conversation years ago with my buddy in North Africa, and he said that uh, one of the places they recruit radical Islam is from the poorest of the poor areas. And Gaza was a, I mean, it's a breeding ground for that, right? Because there's a lot of poverty there. But what he's saying is that, you know, the poorest of the poor, because these young men especially have committed crimes, uh, have had, whether it's violent uh, terrorists, but even with each other, like stealing, whatever. Like these are young men, for a lot of them, that are not from the right side of the track, so to speak. And so they, they have one guarantee to get into heaven, which is jihad, to die as a martyr. And so it's one of the best places to pick from because they live in constant fear of this theology. So what, yeah, this article, I was like, the, clearly this is someone, which is of no surprise, right? That has yeah. no understanding of the, the Quran or Islam saying that, well, this is, shows how it mean Israel is because these are 18-year-old young men that have been held in there. But point is, these are, that's the exchange. I don't know that it's a fair exchange. I can't, let me say it differently. It's 100% not a fair exchange. But I don't know if I were Netanyahu, who do you choose? Because Israel doesn't just arrest people willy-nilly. They, you have committed a crime or suspected of a crime. So it's not like they have any innocent people or, or known innocent people sitting in jails over there. So this is all they have to exchange. But the ceasefire came so that they could get some hostages out. But you know Netanyahu and his government have so far sworn that this is not an end. We're literally trying to get the hostages out. And as soon as we get that out, so it's which is what brings us. So you've seen that now. It seems like that uh, Hamas continues to delay, use delay tactics. Clearly, they're not ceasefiring. I mean, they shot three people in the streets of Jerusalem this morning, like November thirtieth, twenty twenty-three. Like that. So ceasefire. You know, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Um, but what's happening? Like, what are you reading coming out of there? Even in the last day, like what from the headlines you're seeing? Um, yeah. So there's. It's, it, man, it's the fog of war is so intense because by the time whatever is happening over there gets back over here um, and then you have to filter through the bias, uh, it's hard to get the facts. But what we do know is, is that this quote-unquote ceasefire isn't what you would deem an actual ceasefire, meaning at the moment, Israel is holding up its end of the bargain and they are... They are showing restraint. Hamas keeps changing the terms as evidenced by today. They continue to fire missiles. They continue to have snipers shooting people in the streets. Um, they keep changing the parameters. Uh, what I read this morning is that it's going to continue for the ceasefire is supposedly going to continue through the end of the week. So uh, today, tomorrow, and then then we'll see what it looks like to me. And correct me if I'm wrong. It looks like the, the goal of this, of this quote unquote ceasefire is to get as many Israelis out of Gaza. Yeah. And you can quote me on this, I guess, or maybe don't, I don't know to get as many Israelis out of Gaza before they drop the hammer. Like it feels like that's where it's headed. Like they want to get as many of their people back home Yeah. before they go in and, take care of business. It's what it seems like. Oh, I th yeah. Um, I think the reason it seems like that is because that's what it is. I mean, that's, you know, Netanyahu has made no uh, 
left no room for wondering at this point. Like he's he's paying the price politically back home because this even happened to begin with, right? He Correct. was already a deeply uh, divisive, you know, you either love him or you hate him kind of, you know, president over there, prime minister. And so, um, and, and part of it was because he looked the other way in, in, in the narrative. He looked the other way on Gaza for all this time um, and was quietly, uh, and again, gosh, you know, you can, it's easy to say uh, he should do this or should do that. I mean, it's one of the things as a pastor, right? We always have, you know, people Monday morning quarterbacking. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're right. You know, I probably should have done that. Should have done that differently. But, but most times you say that, it's like you have no context of the whole situation that's going on. So I don't have any context <laughs> for, you know, for this other than uh, he was uh, appeasing Hamas. This is the narrative um, to, because it, it was keeping him quiet. Like it was like, the, the, you know, kicking the can down the road. Well, the can, we, we're at the can now. So for him, you know, he knows, believes, and is probably correct that the only way to uh, bring only chance or some sort of a peace over there is going to be to eradicate Hamas completely. Well, you're, yeah, no, you're exactly right. Because today Netanyahu told um, Blinken, Secretary Blinken, um, we swore to destroy Hamas and nothing is going to stop us. Yeah. That was this morning. So again, this feels like, you know, the, the calm before the storm. And while it's, you know, hopeful that there's a ceasefire, I don't, I would, you know, caution people to think, oh, well, they're, they're, they're landing on a truce and this is going to fade. A hundred percent. No way. Yeah. This is, there's no way he can't, he couldn't yeah. do this politically. He can't do that morally. Um, it, it's literally even just for this, his own life. Like he literally could not at this point do that because if he doesn't absolutely obliterate Hamas, it's, it's like an antibiotic. You take it and then you start feeling a little bit better, but they tell you, right. That if you don't take it all, then the, the strongest bacteria is what survived those first three days, of the antibiotic, and it will come back stronger and more resistant, mm. and that's why he's got to get in there and remove this infection. The cancer's got to be cut out. Um, long term, so that's a geopolitical side. Long term, uh, you can't you can't bomb an ideology out of somebody. They're not fighting a person. They're 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 fighting an idea. Mm-hmm. But you take that off from a just sociological, anthropological, and now you're talking spiritual. There's a spiritual war right behind the scenes. And the yes. demonic forces that created Islam in 600 BC, AD uh, are still alive and well. And those forces, uh, are the, those are the principalities, the powers that, you know, in high places all over the Middle East and in the, in the world for that matter. But that's an idea that we can't, uh, we can't bomb out of somebody. So while they're doing that, the gospel continues to be our job uh, as far as the, the body of Christ and the church in general. So Jesus, you know, Terry... Our greatest calling is to is to preach the gospel to Muslims, like the good news that Jesus has set them free and that they don't have to die in jihad, you know, to please a God that's angry with them. Like that's our our role. It's our hope. It's what Christ called us to do. And for those, you know, that are threatening the very lives and existence of our civilization, uh, this is what's you know God's God's about to drop the hammer on this 
as far as Hamas is concerned, and whether it's Netanyahu is his tool or not, I don't know. I just know that. Uh, you know what? It, what it feels like to me, Osama bin Laden seemed genuinely surprised at the response that America gave after 9-11. Now, I know my 9-11 friends out there, save your emails, I've read it all. But for the purposes of this, let's acknowledge that there was a guy named Osama bin Laden that was involved, however he got involved. He seemed genuinely surprised at the response. And the reason he was surprised was we just had eight years of President Clinton, you know, they literally bombed the World Trade Center in New York City. And we basically like pinched, like slapped their wrist. It was it. That was all. They bomb one of our our, uh, aircraft carriers, kill multiple troops. And we swatted their hands. So they viewed us as a paper tiger. That, That was the language that they used in interviews even. And so when we you know, made Afghanistan into a parking lot. It was genuinely surprising to them. What I can't figure out is, is, is Hamas generally surprised, genuinely surprised, or is this just part of what their, their mission, which this is what I would think the latter of it. They've, they're trying to pull in Israel, knowing they can't defeat Israel themselves, but if they pull if this gets bad enough, it will pull into force Hezbollah, Iran, maybe Russia, China, whatever, the, the, the biblical lens. That's why I keep looking to the north um, because the longer this goes on, the more unstable the region becomes. And the more unstable the region becomes, the more likely it is that someone's going to want to pull in there, whether it's Erdogan from Turkey or Xi Jinping from China, to, to try to restore order. Because at the end of the day, they're all still getting their oil from there. Middle East, like they're like it. It is in everybody's best interests that this calms down somehow. It just depends from our side, you know, <laughs> Western side. We would rather it calm down, but with Israel being in charge, it would seem to be that Eastern folks would rather it be calming down with Israel being out of the driver's seat. Well, yeah, and unfortunately, I think it's going to heat all the way up. Um, you know, one of the things that you know Europe is having to deal with now is. Um, you know, the flood of Middle Easterners that are now in Europe um, over the course of, what, two decades probably yeah. as far as a migration of uh, Middle Eastern um, Muslim-believing um, individuals that have flooded into Europe. You know, London uh, this morning, it, uh, there was an article. They are canceling their planned installation of their uh, annual Hanukkah menorah outside of a town hall, like in, in wow. downtown London area, because they're, they're afraid of, of, of the protests that are going to come from that, the menorah being posted or being... So they're canceling it in London, eh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, which is not... Yeah, it's not surprising. I'm acting like that's some big shock. It's not surprising, but it's also not dissimilar to what happened last night in New York City. You know, Rockefeller Plaza every year has the Christmas tree lighting. And there was a group that um, formed a protest, um, a pro-Palestinian protest of the celebration um, last last evening in New York City, Rockefeller Center, that caused extreme chaos. Um, fighting in the streets, um, multiple arrests, all kinds of people got hurt, pushing and shoving. It was chaos there's video all over the internet this morning showing it 
Um, when you're seeing the videos, and I have, I've only cursorily, wait, I don't think that's a word, cursorily, <laughs> cursor. I haven't seen much. Are, are you seeing it to be mostly like Islamic protest? So a lot of what you see in, in London, France, those are actually Islamists protesting. A lot of what I'm seeing in America is, a, 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 that I've seen anyway, is a, is a lot of woke university campus could you tell a difference last night from what they were in New York, the primary audience, or was it a mix? Well, it looks like it. There, there's hundreds of Palestinian flags being raised. Sure, around the uh, the lighted Christmas tree. Merry Christmas! Right. They're all they're all wearing uh, hats. I can't see anybody's faces. So that's okay. yeah. And then and then part of the um, part of the online. Um, the post that went out on social media was put on by somebody, a group called Priests of Palestine called for this uh, protest. Do we know anything about who that is? Nobody knows who that is. There's no specific association or organization called Priests of Palestine. However, this ad went around social media called Flood the Tree Lighting for Gaza. Brought to you by priests of Palestine, calling for mobilization, not celebration. And I don't know how to pronounce this word, but it said, bring your flags, signs, and I'm going to sound silly trying to say this word because I don't know how to pronounce it. K-E-F-F-I-Y-E-H-S. Kefefis? Kefehis? I've never heard that word before. I don't know what that means, but I don't know if that's like something they wear. Huh. But it was very intentional pro-Palestinian um, protests right. around the Christmas tree to disrupt last night, and it, it got out of control. Yeah, I suppose it. Uh, I, I, actually, it doesn't matter at all who, uh, w which faction it is. I was curious because obviously both are wrong, both factions. But there, there's literally two competing factions inside of the pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas movement. Uh, one is the Obviously, Middle Eastern or Islamic, Arabic, you know, for, for the most part, like people that are Palestinian, maybe. And then there's the the, the elite woke university level. 100%. People who, by the way, would, if they were to be honest and sat down in a room with each each group, would hate each other. Yeah. Um, but I just, so again, it doesn't really matter who was in New York. I was just curious if it was... Uh, it's like we have, it's almost like Game of Thrones. You have all these different fashions, uh, armies that are all fighting each other, but there's actually one bigger enemy that's coming, right? But they're all in the middle of that fighting each other uh, with it. So the, the, the hardcore woke elites, you know, the hardcore Islamists, the, you know, it's just, there's so many different factions that don't, they don't fit anymore into neat little categories. Yeah, it's hard to distinguish the, between the two, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's in New York City or in Los Angeles or any major city right now, all of these pro-Palestinian protests, um, you cannot tell if it's just a far left-wing group that are sympathizers or if it's actual, you know, Arabs or Muslims that are now live here that are pushing yeah. for a protest of some sort. Have we seen anything like this in Nashville yet? No, not that I, There have been uh, a couple of marches i mean nothing even kind of like this level okay. uh, yet yeah i'm just curious that you know for every day that passes are we going to start to see more and more of these these groups assemble and 
begin to protest in, in you know, ba- basically every major city or every capital um, mm-hmm. to start, you know, s- swaying the opinion. I, I've said this before, but it feels like PLM is the new BLM mm-hmm. in terms of um, creating a, a division of yeah. ideologies amongst our communities. I think there's no question to that. And it's, if anything, the main reason we have not seen it more in the U.S. is that for the most part, U.S. people, even the most liberal, are actually pretty uh, about our own stuff. So if this had happened on our shores, whatever, I could see it even spreading even further. Uh, but I do believe that the more propaganda that is brought out from Hamas, from uh, Al Jazeera, you know, whatever, that uh, that could wave those or, or spark those things. And honestly, the, and maybe this is what Israel's, you know, part of the more complex idea of this quote-unquote ceasefire, which is they're getting some hostages out. It actually gives the new cycle a break uh, before they go back in and do, because the, when they get in there, get in there. Um, we've already seen it. You know, there are uh, people, I, I think somewhere between eight and 10,000 people have died according to Hamas numbers. So we have no idea how accurate that is. But that's, I mean, when you're hiding behind, you know, schools, hiding in hospitals, hiding, you know, all those things have been factually proven. I, I don't know how you, you know, I don't know how you get in there and, and root out Hamas without more people dying. So with, with them taking the break, it's going to give them a break in the news cycle. But once that they start up again, um, and, and more of that stuff ends up through Hamas and through Al Jazeera, and then ultimately the legacy media puppets and on our side, I could see it spreading even to places like like Nashville, uh, you know, beyond New York, L.A., Minnesota, Minneapolis area. It it feels eerily similar to four years ago, leading up to election year, where there's this great divide. Um, ideological divide where people are taking sides um, leading into election. It just feels like the same, similar to the same playbook that in 2024, this is, you know, January into April, into the spring, it's just going to ramp all the way up. Yeah. I mean, look, be ready, especially if this comes down to Trump versus whoever, which it sure seems like it's going to. Well, yeah. And the news this week is uh, Newsom's all in. That's the that's all in, meaning he's going to replace Biden in the for the running of okay. the presidency. Okay, so he is saying that he is open to it, or that he's going to take him on as a. No, no, Challenger. He's, he's open to it. Got it. Being the guy for the Democratic Party. I wondered if when he, because he was flirting with the idea of running, and then all of a sudden acted like he wasn't. Backed off, yeah. I wondered if that was because someone somewhere was like, be cool. We're, we're going to pick you, but you've got to. Yeah. You can't go pick this fight. I, well, that's all speculation on my part, but it was really mysterious to me that this guy that clearly has got presidential ambitions just suddenly decided, ah, oh, it's not my time. Yeah, I think I think one of the things they were waiting on perhaps was the most recent, um, the RNC debate was what, a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and then they did polling numbers after that um, against Biden's numbers, and Biden's numbers are so bad right now. Oh, he... <laughs> 
It's so bad that like MSNBC, they're all having to admit it. Like there's yes. not a, there's no poll that they no way they can torture the numbers to make yeah. them say anything different than than Biden is not the guy for their party. Yeah, so I, I can see some of that start to bubble to the top over the next few months too, which is its own it's its own thing. Um, back to world events though. Um, one of the things that you you had mentioned too, and just this little bit of kind of a popcorn current events situation here, but some of the stuff starts to bubble up and then it starts to cause perhaps unnecessary unnecessary fear in people. Yeah. One of the things that again is bubbling up is this a respiratory disease surge in China. Again, deja vu. Right? <laughs> um this is like Exactly four years ago, we we're having the same exact conversation. Yeah, because it would have been November, December when they were talking about this mystery. Of 19. Yeah. You know, flu bat. And so here we are again. I actually there's, connect that dot. That's right. <laughs> there's, there's this surge. I mean, Chinese hospitals right now are full in cities all across China of uh, those struggling with respiratory issues, specifically children. Now, so headlines are running with that here in the States, but it's not the whole truth. Go figure. Yeah, right. Like, that's not a shocker, right? Like, we wouldn't know that. But what are you reading right now that uh, I've been paying attention to it, if nothing else, because the idea that, uh, like, why are they running with this again? Did they not learn the first time, you know? China does not have our best interests in mind, but yet, you know, whether it was Drudge Report uh, or the homepage of Wall Street Journal, they're all, t- you know, the story about this mystery respiratory illness, you know, headline. And then, uh, you get into the meat of it, and I'll let you speak to that, because I, I, the, the meat of it's like, wait, this is, you guys are trying to scare the crap out of everybody for this? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we have our context for how we consume media and news in the, in the West, in the U.S., I don't think people understand what it looks like to live in China and receive media and news. Yeah. It's 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 communistic in its presentation. And so it's driven by fear. Um tenfold to anything we experience here. And so right now there is a a huge wave um of essentially walking pneumonia which is seasonal. The Chinese people are so scared of an any sort of respiratory illness based upon how things were treated over the past four years in that country. You have to understand that entire country has been uh, lowered into a police state like none other. You can't get around unless you are scanning either your eyeball, <laughs> your fingerprint. You can't get on a, a bus unless you're using digital payments, like cameras. I think there's, I think there are. Wow. The, la- the last iteration of reports was six cameras for every single person in China, in major cities. Which would be... So they're, they're tracking. Wow. The, 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 the biotech um, security tech side of things is like unlike anything we could possibly imagine over there. And so now that there's this n- new surge or disease that has presented itself, which is really just seasonal walking pneumonia, p- 
people are so scared of what it could be that they're rushing to the hospitals. The good news, the very good news is a Z-Pack or erythromycin uh, will will cure that. An antibiotic will cure walking pneumonia in about five days. <laughs> the problem is everybody's going to the same exact hospitals and they're running out of supplies, which is creating a backlog. Which is driving the story. Yeah, which is driving the story. Yeah, whenever, um, For that matter, whenever you see a report of a hospital, especially in a nation like China, developing nations for that matter, but even the United States, when they say, over, quote unquote, overrun, um, what that generally means is either A, uh, often means, the, the, like the hospitals in the United States, they are staffed according to statistics and algorithms, whatever, what we normally experience this time of year. So being overrun doesn't mean that there are thousands and thousands of people and no beds left. It's like we we it's like when you get to a restaurant at lunch, they've only got two waiters on staff, so they can only seat <laughs> right. twenty tables. The restaurant could be mostly empty, but it's because they only had enough staff for Yeah. But but the point being that's not a good thing, but when you're hearing overrun, don't immediately assume that's right. The restaurant is full and there's people lined up around the block. It's not an in sync concert, uh I guess that's a dated little reference there, isn't it? Uh, it's not an in-sync concert. This is, uh, this is the medical. Now, you throw that into a developing nation, and even in the best of times, their hospitals are uh, cannot possibly serve the amount of people that they have in their communities. When you've got a billion people in, oh. in a country, three times, right, the population of the United States. Wow. Um, it's impossible to build a hospital system. It seems to be big enough to. And so if one uptick in anything happens— um, it's it's skyrocket quote unquote yeah. skyrockets and so uh, combine then like you said everybody's going to the same place getting the Z packs um, you know look I because I, I've been reading through it and I you know they've yet to even uh, uh, guess at what what virus might it be but the, but the headlines are more about the the panic porn than the yeah because it's not a virus it's a bacterial infection of the lungs which is common and easily thank goodness yeah. Easily combated with a, a five days right. pack. <laughs> I, you know, I, you know, of course, you know, I mean, I, I, and people who have known me for any length of time can know that I've been focused on China for uh, too long. I mean, Mark Klassen used to be one of the booking agents that worked with our clients, and he and I would have these. We're supposed to be booking, talking shows, and I'm, we're talking about China. Um, Twenty years later, I'm feeling pretty absolutely. Uh, feeling pretty justified in that. E- even this week, like I was struck, like. Got the virus thing going on, the uh, headlines, and then uh, at the same time, just this week, it was a Yahoo headline that was talking about uh, China right now. If, if you're in uh, youth sports, and it was talking about an iron army. This is what the, Xi Jinping has referenced it to, is his, his iron army. But if you are in gymnastics or youth soccer or whatever sports, they literally are also simultaneously training you in military techniques like building out this and it's what he said we want to have a, an iron army because uh, they're by the way they look to the united states and they don't even shy away from this comment like the united states has lowered our standards for what it takes to get into the military yes. like can you do a couple push-ups i mean they still are there's a standard but it's significantly lower when my daughter went through boot camp i was like i mean she was in fantastic shape but i'm looking around going this is what we're this is the yeah. army we're counting on here but on the other hand you've got China specifically, but other armies, their standards have not loosened. They've uh, they've strengthened. But uh, when you look at Revelation, I believe it's seventeen, where it talks about the million two hundred million man army coming from the east, and it refers to on their chest were iron 
you see the Iron Army. That's the word that Xi Jinping is using. I'm like, I don't want to be a conspiracy theory guy, but (laughs) man, God's making it hard. (laughs) The conspiracy of God moving this stuff into place. What's uh, remind us again, or maybe clarify again, why the Iron? Why that? Why are they using that language specifically? China. Uh, Well, I mean, in Eastern. You know the Iron Age, like what I mean, that, that this sort of like we're an iron, unstoppable steel, metaphorically. Yeah, yeah. And in the Bible, uh, God, I'm trying to remember what it. I have bars of iron. I'm trying to remember if I could find it real quick. What what it is in, it, it, from a biblical lens, it does speak of like like yoke of iron. Like it's actually, it's used in a pejorative like slaves with iron. Like it's gotcha. a, a negative connotation in scripture yeah. um slaves like slaves of people drawn into battle yeah on the at the yeah. behest of uh, some world power but for him to use it you know the iron you know well of course one of our favorite rock bands of all time iron maiden <laughs> uh, but the idea of iron in eastern culture specifically speaks of, of strength yeah. and defensibility so I'm, I'm assuming that's why xi jinping it just it just struck out at me when he's talking about well, his yeah. Iron Army, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's exactly what Revelation said that they would be this army with 200 million men marching from the east and wearing iron on their chest. I'm like, and here's this guy saying, "This that's us, that's our army. We're going to be wow. wearing iron." And that was literally the same week that uh, Wall Street Journal, no, no, it was MSNBC, which makes it even more hilarious to me, um, was posting a video of the the ports that China has established, which we've been talking about. For mm-hmm. years, it was the first time I'd seen it on a map, though, the deep water ports that they've systematically, and then you look at it and like, oh, this none of this was an accident. Like, they're not building deep water ports in Nantucket. Like, they're building them in strategic places where there is, where there are materials for, uh, for, for their phones, for their electric cars, for, you know, fuel for that matter, fossil fuels. They're, they are so strategic. Oh. The, the precision of their... Yes. Their strategy for taking over the world yes. is so precise, like an exacto yeah. knife. And you can see how if if I'm right, and the you know, the whore of Babylon is it turns out it's a world religion in partnership with a government, but the government eventually has to throw it off or fight. There becomes a tension between the government. If you are a godless communist nation that needs the minerals from a, a predominantly Islamic area, which is the entire Middle East and North Africa and East Africa, where a lot of these materials are located, have one other thing in common, and that is they are either controlled by or in danger of being controlled by radical Islamist leadership. Mm. So what you're seeing is a godless government trying to build a partnership with a religious ideology to conquer the world together. Um, wow. And that's exactly what, whether you're the Wagner Group, which is sending air defense stuff into Hezbollah right now, keep your eye on the north, uh, Russia getting involved in any of this stuff, you know, in Russia and China, they, they're two different nations, 100%, two different goals for that matter, but the same ideology, which is communism from it. And so, you know, these godless armies, one from the east, one from the north, you can, it's like you could put it on paper and go, oh, this is... Literally, you know, not that I would need a practical reason, but, you know, God, when he talks in Ezekiel 39, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw. I'm going to drag you down. It's like, it's like, man, I don't want to have to mess with this, but I've got to get in there. We've got to get this figured out. We've got to get this cleaned up. 
And I think um, when you look at the deep water ports of China, you look at the influence that they have put all over the world, the financial, I mean, their financial situation as far as an economy is in the toilet, but they have assets the world over. Like they literally could deploy a military force uh, without without even a blink with the amount of ports and roads that they've already constructed inside of these countries and then the coasts of these countries. Oh, and by the way, cross-reference almost all of them, and you look on the map that Wall- the Washington Post posted, and then like it's put, it, you know, it's Cush. It's literally Ezekiel 38 on the north coast of Africa. Like you can watch wow. and see. It's like, yeah. What's the? Can you recall on the map? It was the farthest west port. They have something in South America. Yeah, they've been working in Brazil. Yeah, uh, I, I th- that's been years ago. The theory then, and I think is to be accurate, by the way, is not only do they want control of the oil, they were trying to get rid of U.S. dollars, which they still are. Yeah, so they were using they're flush with U.S. as dollars, so buying things with those U.S. dollars to get out of cash, so that they could then eventually use their own currency. That is another whole podcast, actually. The whole, the, the currency, um, manipulation, change, like that is, yeah, there's a lot happening with that right now. Did you remember when we were having an elder meeting? I, I don't want to say which one because I've not asked his permission, but uh, <laughs> I was like March of 2020, we're having an elder meeting and and this, uh, we're trying to figure out what's going to happen, this and that. And, and one of them just sort of like, just as an aside says. Casually. Yeah, you know, every 75 years, you know, the currency resets, you know, to something that last time it happened was World War II to the U.S. dollar. And, it, and he just went right on in that sentence. I was like, whoa, 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 back up. Meanwhile, it's, we're like in year 75, yeah. <laughs> 76. Like he just sort of said it like in passing, like, wait, is that what's happening? Like, is And I've since learned, like, you know, for the Strauss-Howe theory, being reminded that, you know, yeah, there's been a currency reset because there's a, a, a humanity reset every 75 yeah. years that, that, that it resets in those four, you know, quadrants of which we don't have time to talk about today, but... Uh, but part of the history resetting is currency resetting, and we are about five years overdue yeah. for that. So when you read the um, uh, the Strauss Howe effect, the follow up book, which is name I'm completely brain farting, um, the fourth turning, yes, uh, he just released an updated one on it, and like the follow up, and one of the things he's making the case for is that it's not like. Every 25 years, so like it's October 1 and now it resets. He's like, it's a season change. That's why we call them seasons. Yeah. So what he was saying is, oh, no, the season is already here. We're already changing. Mm. So he makes a case in the fourth turning is already here that we have hope for the future because, you know, society and civilization is going to win. Secular humanist, this is absolutely based on nothing. Like he can't point to even human history and say, yeah, this happens all the time where we have uh, great fourth turnings and we have a brand new amazing civilization. He, he can't make that case because it's actually inaccurate for history. Uh, so he makes a case that's hopeful. We, on the other hand, can make a case that's hopeful from uh, history, but from the prophetic scriptures and from, I said it two weeks ago, if, if you think this stuff is weird, right? If you think that, you know, talking about the return of Christ is weird, he said he was coming back. You think about what he said he would do and then did, and then ask yourself the rest of the things he said he was going to do, is he going to leave them undone? And the answer is, of course not. So he is returning. We do have a hope. And so our gig is to, well, let's talk about that. 
Yeah. The, the news is overwhelming right now to, to, to a lot of people. You either got your head in the sand and it's not overwhelming because you have no idea what's going on. Or the other ditch is my head is not only out of the sand, it just, it's on a swivel the whole time. So I'm like in <laughs> flight mode the whole time. You know, that, that neither one of those are a biblical approach to this. What would your, what would your advice be, Mo? Well, I, you know, I, I always say this, you're either ostrich or an e you're an eagle. Um, ostrich, put your head in the sand or an eagle. You just, you're just, you're soaring above it all and watching every single thing. And, and both are exhausting. Um, somewhere in the middle where we need to be. As much as we zoom out to all the things that are happening in the world, um, which is important for us to do, I want to encourage us to zoom in and, and honestly talk about some of the, the power of prayer that we're experiencing here in our, in our church. The power of prayer that we're experiencing in our homes, in our families, and like the zoom into that because we've had over the past, what, maybe a couple of months specifically, maybe longer than that, but over the past couple of months, there have been some really specific life-changing shifts happening as a result of um, prayer, individual prayer, people interceding for others, a prayer team uh, interceding for a list of prayer requests, and then receiving those follow-up reports and testimonies of, of things changing. Yeah. Prayers being answered um, in, a, in a way, you know, our prayers are always answered. They just might not always be the answer we want. But when it comes to, you know, health concerns or job concerns or relationships and marriages we're seeing um, we're seeing the power of prayer make an impact with many of our families right now and it's every report that we get back is so encouraging um, and that's the hope that we need to, to dive into when we zoom back into day-to-day -day life yeah the thing that the, the Bible has this amazing picture of what our prayer actually is. Uh, it's not just a, a request. And I, what, I love the language that Revelation chapter 5 uses around prayer. This is like uh, this famous passage about the scroll and the lamb who is worthy to un, uh, unroll the scroll. You know, and it's, it's, it's Jesus who is, who is worthy. But in verse 8, uh, Verse seven, he, he went, he took the scroll from the right hand whom sat on the throne, this is Jesus. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. They were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And then I think it's the next chapter where that bowl, it's full. And it says that he turns it over. Yes. Uh, and, and what it's, the, the imagery that I get is twofold. One, incense, which means that even if I'm not praying right, like, and I don't pray right a lot, right? Because I'm praying my will more than God's, but I'm just praying. I don't know what else to pray as I'm praying this. But there's an image of what incense does, which is that it takes uh, my stinky prayers and sweetens them, right? It's like it, it's actually, even though I may be getting the wording wrong or my heart might be wrong, and it, he's, he is, Jesus's incense is sweetening my stinky prayers. And the second thing that it tells me is that there's a bowl somewhere in heaven, metaphorically speaking. And when it is full, 
uh, that is when he will exact the wrath, the bowls mm-hmm. of wrath upon the earth that he turns around and pours it. But it's my point being that there's not a prayer wasted. There's not a prayer lost. It is going into a bowl and specifically of these saints on behalf of the saints, persecuted, suffering. You know, that's something that uh, I love about when you go to Eastern Asia, especially or Southern Asia, whatever, when you see persecuted Christians, they read Revelation way, 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 way different than we do when it says, how long, Lord, before you avenge us? Like when your home has been stolen, when your kids have been imprisoned or murdered, that's a legitimate prayer. Like it's not a metaphorical prayer. But for all of us right now with with the world as it is, prayer cannot be our last line of defense. It's not doing nothing. It is going before our Father, and the more that we pray, the more that bowl fills. And at some moment, maybe today, that bowl will be full. And the kingdom that Jesus promised will be birthed in full on earth. So our prayers are a part of that. It's not just something we do until then. It's something we do you know, to help get us to then. Yeah, I mean, it feels like there's, there's power in individual prayer. It feels like there is this amped up power in a collective prayer, like a a group of believers, a a group of of Jesus followers in a church, in a community, in our country, in a country that are on the same page. They're in the, in the same mindset and in the same spirit, the Holy spirit together at one time, collectively as a group praying for interceding for praying with like that can change, that can change the atmosphere, and th- and that's what kind of reminds us to, you know, what we're dealing with here on a global level. You guys, this is we're we're dealing with principalities here and powers of darkness, um, and so while it's so easy to get caught up in the minutia of what's happening, um, whether in your backyard or across the pond. Um, we have to remember that we're fighting an adversary here that's in the principalities and the heavens and the heavenlies. And so that when we gather together, when we are praying as a body of believers, as a nation, even that we can change, we can help thwart the enemy and put a hedge of protection around, around us. And that's why it's so, that's why it's so powerful. It's, yeah. That's, that's the importance of it. We, that's not something the time right now, we cannot neglect that. Yeah. That needs to be front and center, especially heading into, I keep, I hate to bring it up often, but this election year, I just, I just feel like this year could be tumultuous. I mean, we're definitely in a place this year that we have never been in before. I was actually trying to explain this to my son. Okay. The closest that I could come to our lifetime is for the election itself is the 92 Bush uh, versus Clinton. Uh, you know, the country's divided. Uh, there was actually war going on in the Middle East. That's right. Uh, and, but, but we had a third party enter the race. And nobody, at least I, I don't think enough people, are talking about the fact that Robert F. Kennedy is in this race. Yeah, I've, and everybody's kind of forgotten about that, and he's yeah. not declared yeah. a party. Well, uh, he actually has declared independent. Independent, yeah. yeah, which gets him on the debate stage. If they let's let's say it's a Trump versus Biden, he is going to be on a stage with whoever that is. Yeah. 
So you're talking about a wild card here. That the closest would be Ross Perot, mm-hmm. but that's a that was a Republican version of this. This is a Democrat version. Perot took the votes from ninety whatever percent of them were were Bush votes, which is how Bush lost the election. But Perot walked out of that election with eighteen percent of the popular vote. Incredible. Yeah. Robert Kennedy right now is polling at twenty to twenty one percent. Wow. And I don't know if you noticed this or not, but all those polls that came out in the last week about how terrible Biden is doing right now, which are many, like these polls are, it's bad enough that even the Washington Post had to tell us about it, right? Of course, they have all these reasons why uh, and caveats, but none of them included uh, a third party. So it's it's literally just head to head. These guys are so, yeah. whether it's a narrative they're trying to keep it as a two-party thing to keep him out of it. But we, we can't forget that there's a third-party option here that is going to cause a potential fracture. And I don't know which side it's going to fracture, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, because he's— Well, he's a, he's a Democrat. Oh, 100%. <laughs> like, EPA yeah. lawyer, like, he, you know, this is not a guy that I would go to, to you know, for uh, morality by any means. But, but <laughs> it's so wild, the stuff he's talking about, freedom of speech— you know, choice with, you know, medical freedom, vaccines, all like that, that shouldn't be a, that's, that should be a softball for a Democrat, but it's not, but it was something we'd always agreed on. I thought in the, on on the Republican side, we always agreed. He's got a liberal, it's like a Democrat wrapped in a libertarian mindset. Yeah. Cause I, I guess, so I've been, I don't know if you can say this. I mean, I've been registered as an independent for probably 20 years. Uh, I don't know, punk rock, whatever. I couldn't get excited about Mitt Romney. I, I just couldn't. I, if my president's going to wear magic underwear oh my. while sitting with Putin, I just couldn't get excited about that. Now, I didn't vote for Obama either. It turns out you you know, you know don't have to vote for when it's a uh, right. binary choice. It isn't. Uh, the problem with it lately has been now the, the choices are literally like if I, you know, it, it matters who, who, you know, we're voting for, whether it's third party or not. But I, I'm wondering what's going to happen. And if another, if Trump doesn't get a Republican nomination, there's no way he's not going to run still. So now you end up with a four-way run against whether it's Nikki Haley, Trump, Biden, Kennedy. We've never seen anything like this before. Like this is a, these, that is a legitimate possibility in the next year. Yeah. So you throw that ingredient into the pot of stew that involves... Um, currently, you know, a, a war between Russia and Ukraine that we're backing way off on, by the way, in Israel, uh, conflict in the Middle East, China. potentially China and Taiwan. You put all that into the stew and it makes for some, some, a wild next few months. Again, point being, it makes for a time of prayer. That's right. <laughs> that is the point. If you are not a prayer now is your time. Yeah, to, and heading heading into a new year, right? 2024. Yeah. If you're looking for, for things to um, do better in this next year and you're looking for a resolution to make, um, like, man, what, what, what are some things I can really work on heading into this next year? It would be, um, it may behoove us to consider adding prayer to that list. Yeah. If not, at the very least, move it up a few notches. Yeah. Well, we're going to start in January at the, at the church, 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, we'll start January 10th. 10th or 11th, yeah. I'm Somewhere else. Na- nailing down the details. Yeah, information coming on that. But as a church, the last couple of years, especially, we've doubled down as uh, in prayer, tripled down. And 
and that's why. I mean, it's because I mean, Jesus didn't just want to add something to our list of things we have to do. He gave us a gift of, of, of the ability to communicate with the Father directly. Like, that's not a have to. That's a get to. And if you think your prayers are wasted, you know, the next time you get up tomorrow morning, whatever, praying this afternoon, know that there's a bowl somewhere in heaven collecting your prayers. And when it's full, you may be one prayer away from that thing being full. You know, <laughs> you might be a half a bowl away. I don't know. But your prayers are not hitting a glass ceiling. They are not not being listened to. There is a God on the other side of your prayer that is listening and going to answer. Answer might be no. Answer might be not yet. Answer might be yes. Those are all answers, but there is an answer coming. Thank you for joining us this week. Um, Post-Thanksgiving current event roundup. There's so much happening. We're just grateful um, that you would join us. We've had a few people share us their, uh, their Spotify wrap-up. Have you seen this? Well, you're not on. So you're a Spotify guy. I hate the Spotify app for yeah, podcasts, man. But a lot of people use Spotify to listen I know. They don't make to it our right, podcast. They do, yeah. And so this year, um, you know, the 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 totals are coming in of people that, that listen to it. And I've been getting people forwarding that we're their number one podcast, which is pretty cool. That You know, somebody sent me one this morning. Shout out to Jeff. Uh, that we came in number one on their podcast listening above Joe Rogan and Sean Ryan. Wait, who is this? My buddy Jeff War. Dude, we got to give Jeff a little a mug <laughs> or something, a like a something. like a hat. Do we have a hat. We gotta get Jeff. So like if a- that's you, if you get your you get your Spotify stats back for 2023, and we're near the top. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Uh, we 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 really do enjoy doing these. We enjoy hearing back from you. And as we just mentioned, prayer. If you need prayer, if you have a prayer request, and you want to let us know. Please do that. Prayer at conduitchurch.com. Uh, and all of our information obviously is on our website. You can catch teachings from the previous week. And you can join us on our live stream on our YouTube channel each and every week at 11 a.m. Central. Hope you can join us there as well. Have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>